Hey, David, we are back with John the Baptist. Now, I know this series is about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but we've sort of made the decision we really can't get into Jesus' ministry and ignore John. John is too big, too bold, too controversial, too... I I just can't get the image of a locust hanging out of his cheek and and sort of (laughs) honey on his beard, mate. I'm just... just, But yeah, so so we we really got into that in our our Mm -hmm. first podcast, just thinking about the context of John and... The, the fact that John was this outlier in the wilderness mm-hmm. and some of the incredible layers of nuance and color and context within that. And I hope our yes. listeners enjoyed that. We're going to sort of continue on a little bit, get into the get into some of the meat in terms of how he how he related to Jesus even and yes. and and how his ministry interacted with Jesus and and we're gonna pick up that reading from Luke chapter three and verse seven. You don't I don't think there's any hard words in this, David. I got all the hard words last time. And it's, I don't it's think true, you any did. difficult names in this and that's not fair. But there we are. <laughs> Let's have that. Go for it. Well, watch I'll probably still manage to uh, mispronounce some things. So. <laughs> so Luke chapter three and verse seven. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, which is quite a warm and endearing (laughs) character, wasn't he? (laughs) You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Mm. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people. Sorry, I'm struggling with that exhorted and extorted today, John. I told you I'd have some (laughs) issues, wouldn't I? (laughs) And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Wow. You're just feeling quite scorched by that, aren't you? I mean, (laughs) you just, you just, you can feel John's passion. Even Mm. if you try to read that slowly and softly and gently it's just you just can't avoid i mean i think there's three or four references to fire in this passage yes. it's like it's yes so so you do get this sense of of is is angry too much of a word to use there but you're certainly <laughs> getting a seriously focused passionate zealous type dynamic with this man there's it's an uncompromising message isn't it david it's just coming across quite can i use the word brutal he kicks it off brood of vipers i mean that's that's going to get your attention right there (laughs) i think that he sets a scene for us that that i think i would say without distracting us too much that perhaps too many christian preachers have used as their model for how to go around preaching that 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 we talk about fire and, and 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 we always come across seeming a little a little angry and and whereas i do think that john's message needs seriously wrestling with and considered it also needs to be taken if we're thinking about how we go about announcing the message of god's kingdom jesus's way of doing it probably needs to be given priority um I think it's yeah. worth mentioning that this language of repentance is is interesting uh, because it has been used in various ways across the years. But the Greek word metanoia kind of mm. 
isn't a theological word, actually, uh, although it has now become a theological word. It literally means to turn around. It means you're, you're going in the wrong in the wrong direction. And so I think this image of, of John appearing, saying we're going in the wrong direction, you need to turn around and head in the right direction, but then not giving the people the right to go, well, actually, we're the right people. And this is, an, again, another break that we've got. We talked about it in the last episode, a break from the temple tradition. John adds another break now in about your ethical life over and above your genealogical life. So, so John's sure. sort of saying, I'm not really interested where you think you're from. What yeah. is your life producing? Indeed. Which is, again, setting the ground for the kingdom of God, which is going to come in and break down geographic boundaries and ethnic boundaries, but ask us to, to live in a particular way within God's love and kindness. So I, yeah. I think it's interesting that you can see these, the seeds of Jesus' ministry in there, can't you? Or you can produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I mean, that's that's a really strong um, idea right through there. And of course, you you see that repeated in in the way he answers the various questions. I'm sure these weren't the only people who asked him questions, and I'm sure they weren't <laughs> the only uh, questions he had to fend. But isn't it interesting? Uh, each question sounds similar. You know, verse ten. What should we do then? The, the tax collectors come along. What should we do? Soldiers come along. What should we do? Isn't that interesting? They're not. Yeah. They're not saying in the classic language. What should we believe? But yes. they're saying what should we do? Because there was this. They understood John in such a powerful way that they understood that doing was an expression of believing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That actually. If 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 we're getting if we're getting in the Lucan passage here, if we're getting a bit of an overview of how John preached and the type of sermons he kept preaching, then these people are reflecting the fact they're getting his preaching because they're going, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. then if I have to bring forth fruit that mm -hmm. shows I've changed my mind, I've changed my thinking, I'm changing the direction. Right, John, what does that look like for me? So so what does that look like as a soldier? And it's an interesting, John gives some very, very specific and very culturally relevant advice in the context mm -hmm. of that. Tax collectors don't uh, exploit the people, don't take more than you should, just tax them as mm -hmm. as they should be taxed. So, so John's actually uh, already, in those three categories, you've got ordinary people coming to him, the crowd, mm -hmm. you've yes. got tax collectors, and soldiers, we're assuming they're Roman soldiers. Mm -hmm. So, yes. so you've got you've got the crowd that that general population. Every every ordinary person that Jesus touched, you've got the tax collectors, and Jesus hung around a lot with tax collectors. And then you've got Romans, mm -hmm. and Jesus leans into the Roman world and connects with Romans in his journey. Jo mm -hmm. John's already starting to do that. So even though he comes across like a bit brutal and a bit angry. When we look at the when we look at the other gospels, it feels like some of his brutality in his language is aimed at the religious community in particular. And it's interesting, even in the in the woes that Jesus gives to the Pharisee community, the term vipers crops up there as well. So there might be a wee hint that John is having a dig, a bit of a harder dig at the religious community. And then when he when he comes to talk to the tax collectors and the, and the Romans. There's a sort of a softer feel to that in terms of, well, here's what to do mm. within that. So, so it's 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 a fascinating, fascinating position that this sort of message just opens up with, and it's mm -hmm. uncompromising, and it seems very clear what he's after. I, I think it's interesting as well how there's so much of a microcosm of of Luke and the New Testament going on here as well. Like as I was as I was reading it, I, I think of the allusions to Galatians, for example. We know Luke is 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 a student of Paul's at some level, but you know, this idea of we have Abraham as our father. And and John's response is, well God can raise up children from Abraham 
for Abraham from anywhere. Well, I mean, that's one of Paul's big arguments in Galatians, isn't it? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not about our heritage. It's about who who we're trusting in. Uh, And then in this interaction between the crowd, the tax collectors, the soldiers. I mean, there's so much resonance of the Magnificat in that, of Mary's Absolutely. song, of, of Zachariah's song, of the bringing up and the, and the, and the bringing low, the raising up the, the oppressed. You can see this, which, of course, again, I find myself thinking about Paul's language in Corinth and about how mm. we deal with each other fairly and, and equitably. Um, and then also added to that, you can't help but be drawn towards uh, Luke 19 and the story of Zacchaeus. And, and here you have a tax collector, I think, producing fruit in keeping with repentance. <laughs> that Zacchaeus meets Jesus and says, here's how, I've sort, here's how I'm going to sort out my life. And of course, interestingly, Jesus then says, well, salvation has come to this house. And, and now I think it's super important that the doing of the things of repentance are not what brings you salvation. So, so, so Zacchaeus doesn't find salvation because he gave away the things he had taken unjustly. Jesus brings his salvation as a free gift of grace. Zacchaeus giving away the things he took unjustly are evidence that that fruit has taken root in his heart, which is exactly what John's talking about here. Is it, I think anyway, John, does that, oh, does that sort of summary fit? Totally. The fruit is the evidence of the root, isn't it? Fruit mm. fruit is the sign of something that's gone on inside. I was raised in Belfast City. I don't know one tree from another, but, but I know <laughs> if there are oranges hanging off a tree, that's an orange tree, right? And the only reason I know that is not because I'm a sort of horticultural expert, because there's like oranges on it. So <laughs> so it's it's that it's that obvious. And Jesus picks mm-hmm. that idea up, good tree, totally. good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, good trees can't produce bad fruit. And it's, yeah. it's all that nuance of if there is the life of God within you, it will produce this change yes. of behavior. It will produce yes. this, you will behave differently towards you. And you, you've alluded to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house because there was, there was a moment of faith, but also this outworking of that mm. faith in behavior. And I think yes. we see that over and over again in the gospels in general. And I think we see it over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, where people behave in a way that demonstrates faith. So one of my favorite stories in Luke is is the woman who anoints Jesus in Luke 7 in Simon's Mm -hmm. house. She's in the house of a Pharisee who knows the law off by heart, but she's the one producing the fruit, right? She's the one, Jesus is saying, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Look, look Look at how she's behaving, Simon. She's behaving in a way that shows her sin has been forgiven and her life has been changed. So Jesus wasn't impressed by what people said. He was all the time looking for the evidence of belief through the fruit Mm. of behavior. And John is absolutely 100% going after the same idea. Your your allusion to uh, Belfast is entirely in keeping with what Jesus does in Luke's gospel. There's that verse you quoted, a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit. But then the very next verse in Luke 6, 44, a tree is known by its fruit. Known. (laughs) So so actually, although both you and me are not horticultural experts, there is a very Jesus route to go. If there's oranges coming from that tree, I'm going to take a pretty good guess that's an orange tree. And and it's interesting how often we as Christians are reticent to utilize that language. That 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 actually, well, how do you know whether somebody is a Jesus follower? Well Jesus seems to be saying it might actually be quite obvious. And 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 now where we get hung up often is we want the the, the orange tree to also produce good oranges. What I like about what Jesus says is that I might produce oranges and you might produce oranges and your oranges might might evidence that you're doing a little better at being close to Jesus. And that's mm. part of the discipleship journey, isn't it? Sure. But at a very sure. core level, I'm looking for some sort of evidence that, that this transformation happened in my in, in, in my life. And that, that re- refers to my openness, I suppose, to everything that John is talking about here, isn't he? That there's, that there's change happens. It's totally. And, and and this this again I think reflects John's pushback against perhaps the state of play within within his own world, the temple mm-hmm. system. He isn't interested in what you look like. He's not interested in what you claim to believe. He's interested only in what 
Is it mm. evidencing in your everyday world? And of course, he's he's living in a world where the kingdom needs to be evidenced through the behavior of those around him. I, I, I love there's a beautiful there's a beautiful echo in his father's prophet Zechariah prophesies and he and we we touched on this at Christmas time David but Zechariah says and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him beautiful reference there to Isaiah to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Mm. Absolutely beautiful. So you get this sense that John, John, Zechariah prophesies, John will prepare this way, but, but, but that path will be will be known as the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. It's a, mm. It's an understanding that we have been forgiven and therefore an evidence of that forgiveness in the way that we behave and reflect and live. And John is absolutely picking that up and driving that home really hard. And it is beautiful, isn't it? Because it, again, it does speak to that break from the religious traditions. And one of the mm. one of the constants that you see, again, you see this in Galatians, you see this in, in Corinthians, that one of, one of the problems of a religious system is it often a it gives you marker points as long as I do X and Y I'm okay, and 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 one of the things that I think is really interesting in the ministry of Jesus is he doesn't give you an X or Y just to make you okay. He calls you to transformation. He calls you to That's be true. changed. Of course, his grace is immensely patient, so your speed of change can be deeply slow, as at least is evidence in most of our lives. Right? Indeed. Is the Indeed. the speed of change may be slow, but but it's expensive. There's no easy, well, just do this and carry on being a generally awful person, but actually allow God's grace and spirit to change and, and, and adjust you. And even if it is slow, to still allow that change to happen. It's, and that, I mean, and that shot through the entire Gospels, isn't it, of, of what totally. Jesus is, is constantly saying. Totally. Um, Beautiful. So, so Beautiful. John is... John is a little angry, as you said, and and wants things to burn. Yeah, it's a bit and of a so... reoccurring theme going on there. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely. I wrote this uh, sermon while something was on fire somewhere, and that's where he <laughs> pulled all of his of his metaphors. A uh, couple of things, John. I want to just mention is that it's very easy. Uh, to, to jump from verse 16 of chapter 3, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and, and think that's an allusion to Acts chapter 2, because we yeah. see tongues of fire here. But I think you need to read through the next couple of verses to spot that, yes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is obviously a look forward to Acts chapter 2. But the fire in this particular notion that John has is a purifying fire, isn't it? It's a fire that that burns up things which are bad. It does, it, and it's really important to make that. And actually, Dr. Luke, in quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 1, helps us. So when Jesus mm. is preparing to leave his disciples, Acts 1.5, Jesus says, John baptized you with water. Mm. But I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and and you, Jesus deliberately leaves out fire even there. Mm. So, when you're reading Luke's story as a whole, you can't you, you can't help but not miss that. So, hold mm. on a minute. John at the beginning said that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. When Jesus alludes to John's words, he leaves out the fire bit, mm. and that begins to give us a little clue that there might be. And this is we don't I don't want in any way to offend some of our listeners who who may think John was the best thing ever apart from Jesus, but there might be a developing tension in John's world view of how he expects Jesus to behave as Messiah, mm -hmm. and how Jesus chooses to behave as Messiah. So mm -hmm. if you read chapter three properly, um, you cannot not see fire as judgment mm -hmm. it's yeah. absolutely unmissable and the only way you're going to miss that is to grab luke three sixteen, suck it out of its context stick it mm -hmm. on a text on the wall and completely ignore what john was saying john is saying 
He's he's the one but he's he, the one coming after me is more powerful than me. He's greater than me. I'm not worthy of untying his thongs on on, on his sandals. I mean, he, we, we've got all of that. John knows his place. Behold, the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. John hmm. understands that Jesus is the Messiah. There's no doubt about that. You put all the Gospels together, John has got who Jesus is and why John is there on behalf of Jesus. However, even accepting all of that, John does seem to have a view that Jesus, the Messiah, will bring a winnowing fork. He will bring the fire of judgment. And I think within the Gospels, there is then a tension between John's expectations on this area, on this area, probably on this area alone, David, and the behaviour of Jesus, which which ultimately mm. culminates in a very awkward question when John yeah. is in prison. Before we, we jump into something that may be controversial, let me jump into something that's even more controversial, <laughs> thereby, thereby making the next thing seem less controversial. Um, <laughs> that tension you talk about, to me, is is much easier to understand the tension between Jesus and John if we understand aspects of the relationship between Jesus and John. So mm-hmm. we all know that they are cousins. Luke has explained this to us. We we know that John sees himself as somebody of less honor than Jesus because Jesus will supersede him. Mm. But Jesus, and we're going to see this in the next set of episodes we do, but Jesus is baptized by John. And and baptism by somebody else in those days was a marker that you were their disciple. Mm. So there is there isn't a level to which that John might see Jesus as both superseding but still continuing his work, and and therefore there is a potential tension of and you even see in the Gospels that John's disciples eventually transfer over to Jesus. Right? At least some of them do. Later in Acts, we bump into some in Ephesus, yep. don't we? But. But there's this sense that you can almost feel John's confusion at Jesus of saying, well, if if I thought we kind of, you were agreed on what I was teaching. <laughs> but Luke, and we'll talk about this when we get to Luke chapter four in a few weeks time. There is a tradition that you see in Luke of Jesus holding back the fire mm. and judgment language. He chooses not to play that. And my reading of that is that, the cross is Jesus' answer to God's fire and judgment, that God has actually yeah. absorbed all of that into himself. And I think that as part of a larger theological work, it's important for us not to miss that the cross is the response to to, to God's judgment and fire, that, that when it comes down to it, God absorbs it and forgives it and, and, and draws it into himself. So I think I, I think it's actually quite beautiful, that tension that you're describing there, mm. because you're beginning to see, even in the radical revolutionary of John, Jesus breaking away and saying, God mm. is going to do things differently. But as you mentioned, this causes some problems for John, which we pick up in John chapter seven, don't we? Yeah, in 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 yeah, certainly in the Lucan reference. Sorry, in Luke, Luke chapter Luke seven, seven, not yeah, yeah. John chapter seven. No, no. Yes, <laughs> and, and and I mean, I've I've tried to I've tried to understand. I've tried to think like, where does John get the fire stuff from? And in my in my reflections and thinking, because he's really convinced of this, he he really yes. does believe the winnowing fork is in his hand. Now we we know that eventually there will be some sense of ultimate judgment uh, on the earth, but. But we know from the Gospels, it's not coming now through Jesus. So what's going on? And John could have been influenced, as we talked about last episode, by the Essenes. I think they had a Mm -hmm. very strong judgment eschatology, that Mm -hmm. when the kingdom comes, the wicked will be consumed. I mean, that's their sort of language. And of course, that's reflected in massive texts like Isaiah, Mm -hmm. Isaiah 35. I mean, I mean. Listen to the contrast of this, David. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come in vengeance with divine retribution. He will come to save you. So a tradition grew up from passages like Isaiah 35, and uh, I'll read a bit from Malachi 3. Tradition grew up that part of God's salvation of his people would also be be coupled with vengeance on the wicked, vengeance on their enemies. And this is not only in Isaiah 35, we'll, as you've already alluded to, we'll lean into Luke 4 in a few episodes' time. 
and Luke 4 is a, is a, a direct reference to Isaiah 61, which has mm-hmm. both salvation and vengeance as part of the same package. Mm-hmm. So there is a, our, our listeners may be thinking, how on earth does John get all the fire stuff? Because there is this, there is this trajectory in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, that when God comes to deliver his people, he also comes to judge his enemies. Mm-hmm. And those two things sit together. Malachi, I mean, Malachi is the last book in our Bible. It's not mm-hmm. the last book in Tanakh, but it's Chronicles is the last book in the Jewish mm-hmm. Bible. But for the, for the Christian Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Malachi says, I will send my messenger Mm. who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Now listen to this. For he will be like a refiner's fire. He will Mm. sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver, maybe an allusion there mm. to John. And then and then in, into the then the next chapter, the last chapter of Tanakh starts with these words Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I say all of that to help our listeners think about this. John isn't just angry. Mm. All right. He's not just I, I sometimes think, was John Irish? I don't know. But but John isn't just angry. He he this Fire stuff is a theological position. It's a position that says Mm. when the Lord comes on that day, he will bring both his salvation and vengeance. There will be a restoration Mm. of his people and a vengeance on his enemies. So you do have a a theological trajectory Mm. that gives John credence here. So so I want to sort of defend John before we have a bit of a go at him. That mm-hmm. John, John is actually expressing a a tradition, a trajectory, a theological position that others would hold that favor and vengeance come at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think then, and this is where it gets really tricky, David. It here we have a man called to be the harbinger of the Lord. He knows who Jesus is. He knows the Messiah. He mm-hmm. knows the Lamb of God who's going to come and take us in the world. And yet he still has a slightly biased view on who mm. and how the Messiah will behave. And that that view is about to be radically challenged by Jesus yeah. himself. And that, that's got to be difficult for John, hence the awkward question we're about to perhaps think about. Well, and, be, and just as we jump into that, John, I mean, I am like I'm tempted to say that that at some level is still the challenge. Right. Mm. So so I find myself regularly involved in conversation with people where when I hear them frame their understanding of God, the idea of, of God's salvation and God's judgment are still highly connected to each other. I know I notice it I notice it it happened to me just in the in the last in the last little while. I posted a quote on the internet about about God's love and immediately people were jumping on but what about judgment but what about judgment and i was thinking wow this is the john the baptist question it's still out there and 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 some of these people were were very learned in the scriptures but still rooted in this idea that if you've got love you've got to have you've got to have judgment now i'm not going to say that you don't god is putting the world to rights that is absolutely clear but the way he's putting the world to rights is so often not the way that we want it put to rights so we we want the fire we like the fire in our enemies and god i feel like god's i think about the biblical text of well vengeance is mine says the lord paul Mm. calls the romans paul calls the roman church to remember that god will put things right but he's going to do it his way and and if we keep if we keep banging our fists and saying but where's the fire where's the fire uh two big problems number one probably going to be disappointed that god doesn't do things the way we want number two if we really insist on the fire we should probably get nervous because thankfully god's grace is that which rescues us so so you see this i think this what john the baptist potentially is for us is a sort of type of ourselves. Yeah. How much do you want to insist mm. that God is going to do things your particular way? And I wonder if that jumps us into the Luke chapter seven question. Then, John, do you Indeed. want to do you want to lead yeah. us into that? Sure. I mean, you so, have so what this, goes on the, there? 
Yeah, well, you have this profoundly uh, jarring moment. If you follow Luke's trajectory, Luke, in Luke chapter 7, we, we've just come out of Luke chapter 6 of what's called the Sermon on the Plain, magnificent teaching mm. about the kingdom of God, the upside mm. downness of the kingdom, or is it the right way upness? Mm. But it's that sense that the kingdom challenges all our perspectives. Woe to the rich, blessed are the poor. I, I mean, that's how mm. it kicks off in Luke. And then we launch into Luke 7, and you've got the faith, the incredible faith of the centurion soldier. Oh, Roman mm. soldier, where have we seen that before? And then we go straight mm. into Jesus raising the widow's son. We've already touched on it in the miracle story. At the end of Luke 7, you've got the woman anointing Jesus in the house of the Pharisees, another juxtaposition that's happening there. So you've got a righteous Roman at the beginning of 7. You've got uh, a sinful woman at the end of 7 in the house of the Pharisee. And then right in the middle of Luke 7, you've got the awkward question. John from prison, and he's in prison because he spoke out against Herod. And we have that in Luke 3. And uh, he says, he asked the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, if you've oh been goodness. following the gospel trajectory then there is an immediate jarring because we know, we know, we know that John knows who this is. So if you put all the Gospels together, but even if you just followed the Lucan trajectory, that John knows who Jesus is. But there, there's, a, there's a, a certainty that John knows he's the Lamb, that John knows he's the mm. Messiah. But now yeah. he's asking about what type of Messiah. He's not, I don't think he's questioning, are you the Messiah? I think he's, he's questioning, what, what sort of a Messiah are you? And I think, David, this relates directly to the fire question because mm. Jesus, in, in quoting Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, stops short at an, of announcing the day mm -hmm. of vengeance. We'll touch on that later. And then if you look at Jesus' response to John's question. I think Luke wants you to pick up a level of the shockingness of this story as well. Because notice he asks the question twice. John sends them say, go ask Jesus, are you the one to come? Who is to come or should we expect someone else? And then the very next verse, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? As if you're going to have forgotten the question from one sentence before. But I think that's rhetorically Luke's way of going, like, yeah, they really are going to ask Jesus this question. Yep. John the Baptist, who said, prepare a way for the Lord, and here he comes, who saw the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, is now going to send a message to Jesus from prison saying, like, are, are you are you the one? <laughs> yeah. It's quite, because you don't, you don't look like the one. And like you, yeah. I don't think this is John saying, oh, I, I don't think... I don't think you are the Messiah. I think John is convinced of that. I think, could I, I mean, am I pushing it too far, John? If we were to paraphrase John's question, John's question to Jesus is, Jesus, when are you going to get on with this? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I don't think you're pushing that too far at all. I think that's exactly the underlying emphasis of this question. When are we going to see what I said we would see? So, so we're seeing this this sense of the the preeminence and power of Jesus in in the miracles and the inclusion of the broken, which John has already done. John's already welcomed tax collectors. John has already welcomed Romans. So John's John hasn't got the problem with that. John's John's now okay. Where's the fire? Where mm. where is the winnowing fork? When he, and of course remember where John is asking this from. He is in prison and we know there's an interesting an interesting relationship develops between John and Herod if you put all the gospels together Herod starts off by putting him in prison mm. then we we clearly know that Herod starts talking to John and listening to John and it sounds like that by the end just before John's execution Herod is like going hold on I think he really is a man of God and he's really reluctant to act against him until he mm. gets cornered by his own stupidity so there's an interesting relief, but John's life is hanging by a thread. And what's really interesting, from Luke chapter 3 to Luke chapter 7, for example, Jesus doesn't say a word about it. He doesn't speak against Herod. He doesn't speak against Herod's behavior. He doesn't even raise the flag and say, isn't it terrible what's happening to my relative John, the divine harbinger who was sent to, to help? Jesus virtually ignores John. 
He's mm. he's and I think he's doing so deliberately because if Jesus aligns with John directly in his message, then then Jesus potentially puts his message under threat from from Herod. He has to distance himself from John. And so he's not bringing fire in any shape or form to Herod, even though John mm. thinks he's a wicked man. And he mm. certainly doesn't seem to be bringing fire to the people that John thinks he should be bringing fire to. And, and if you look at Jesus' answer, he says to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says, verse 23, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, who does not fall away on account mm. of me. I mean, John, John's got to hear that. So there's two, there's two layers to that answer, David. Jesus is saying, hey, look, look at the kingdom I'm bringing. And it's virtually mm. an echo of Isaiah 61 again from Luke 4. Mm. It's, it's, it's just, you can't miss that. It's messianic in its overtones and undertones. And then, just in case John's missed what Jesus is trying to say, mm. Jesus says, oh, and by the way, tell John this, blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. I mean, mm. you, you can't get a more pointed reference to John to say, John, on this issue of fire, you've got this wrong. Mm. This is what you want. This is not what I want. And I'm not mm. bringing the fire, at least not the fire of judgment. He does bring a fire of division, mm. but he doesn't bring a fire of, of, of judgment, which John wants. And, and then, as if to help soften that conversation with the crowd, Jesus then does this little conversation about John to the crowd and sort of says, John, John was no one than greater than John has lived. Oh, and by the way, the least in the kingdom is greater than John. So, mm. so he sort of, he does a PR moment on John. He sort of, before the people, he 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 affirms John, but mm. in his response to John, he definitely pushes back, and he mm -hmm. says to John, "I'm sorry, but I'm not bringing the fire that you want. I'm bringing a different kingdom." I mean, I think that there's there's also, and I think Luke does this on a, on a few occasions. I'm thinking about the rich young ruler in in chapter 18. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that story, the rich young ruler of an example of what I think Luke is doing here as well. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Jesus says, and he says, How do, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says the commandments and he rolls out. Jesus gives him four of the five commandments, but drops the one about coveting. And, and it's a classic rabbinic trick. So what the rabbis would regularly do is is drop out a piece of text and see if you've missed the piece of text that he did. Well, if you take that attitude of this is how rabbinic interactions often went, what am I not saying is maybe as important as what I am saying. Mm -hmm. I think this little piece, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. I mean, mm -hmm. I find that hard not to see that as an echo of Isaiah 61 you know, Indeed. 61 that we've got back in Luke chapter four. Um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Check. The gospel is proclaimed to the poor in, in Luke's comment in John's. Sorry, let me get all my words right. Jesus quotes Isaiah in Luke chapter four. He says, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, direct from Isaiah. In his response to John the Baptist, the good news yep. is proclaimed to the poor. He then says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and, mm. and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But notice he goes to John and he says, the okay. blind see, the lame walk, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And at the yeah. bit where you're expecting Jesus to say, yeah. and the prisoners are set free, what Jesus yeah. says is, blessed is the one who does not fall away. I, I can't help but read this of Jesus saying to John, yeah, I'm not getting you out, John. Yeah, so <laughs> like good. this is not like John's gone after Herod, and he's end. And I wonder, you, I mean, we're reading in silence here. John's like the fire is coming, so I can go after all of the enemies, and and yeah. he gets himself in prisoner as a result of it. And 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 Jesus isn't going to come and bring the fire and 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 mount a breakout from Herod's temple for for John. And and so I feel like there's this little bit of classic rabbinic 
Well, by the way, I didn't say something, and John will notice what I haven't said. And in the place of setting prisoners free, I instead get, John, don't lose trust in who I actually am and totally how I'm brilliant. doing things. Yeah, to- to- totally brilliant. And I and I think that is borne out then by Jesus' public affirmation of John. And there's a tenderness mm-hmm. then in what follows when he speaks totally. to the crowd. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, no. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And of course, that, that echoes back to Zechariah's words that his son would be a prophet. Uh, more than a prophet, he says, this is the one of whom it's written about. I will send my messenger ahead of you. Jesus mm. goes back to Isaiah 40 that we started mm. with in, in chapter 3. And he connects it. And yet, so so there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful, if the crowd are overhearing Jesus' answer to John's disciples, mm-hmm. that's just, that's just imagine that they've asked this question publicly. Jesus mm-hmm. has responded publicly. We don't know for sure. But, but then Jesus, if, if that is the case, he turns to the crowd and affirms John. And he says, look, mm-hmm. I know it sounds like I've just pushed back on him, but actually... He is God's prophet, mm. and he has come to prepare the way, and he is the one I, uh, that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah mm-hmm. 40. So you get that beautiful affirmation. But then he lands it with this. I tell you, those born of women, there is no one greater than John. What an incredible statement. But then he adds, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Mm. So so you've got Jesus managing just massive tensions here. He's He's had to take John's question, answer it, but answer it in a way that doesn't destroy John, but at the same time has to say to John, John, I'm really sorry, Mm. but what you expected me to do as far as the fire is concerned is not going to happen. Then he turns Mm. to the crowd and he says, I know you heard me maybe push back on John there, but John was a great man. In fact, John is the prophet who prepared the way for the Messiah. Mm. Oh, and by the way, the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Do, do you know what I mean? There's a whole series yeah. of sort of beautiful, like almost not contradictions, but tensions. Yes. That Jesus is managing in that response in, in order to help John and the people move beyond the fire yes. and move into favor. And I think that's what he's desperately trying to do. Because I think the crowd that Jesus would be speaking to would, would as you have said, and as humans tend to gravitate, gravitate to would like the fire we would like the fire <laughs> to fall on the romans yes and and isn't it interesting that the chapter seven of luke starts with a roman whom jesus mm-hmm. declares to has greater faith than anyone he's seen in israel yes. so the fire's not coming to the romans because because luke's already shown us that and the fire's not yeah. coming to the to the the sort of sinner because actually jesus is opening his arms to the sinners Mm-hmm. So so he's he's already demonstrating to the crowd, look, if you're waiting for the fire, you're probably waiting with the wrong man. You need to yeah. go somewhere else and wait for that because it's not coming yes. through me. And it's an interesting insight even into the tensions that Jesus navigates in his ministry, isn't it? So you've got and tensions that probably Christians to this day navigate as to where do you poke the bear, for want of a better term, when it comes to rulers and politics and government that there's we have characters in history like Bonhoeffer who actively opposed the Nazis and uh, but tried to do it in a very theologically informed way but of course you know ultimately was executed by them and history is full of Christians standing up against against unjust political regimes and so on. John and Jesus are an interesting study because Jesus you see this in his interactions with Pilate clearly perceives his kingdom as that which supersedes the kingdoms of the world. So it's not that he's indifferent towards it, but he seems to be focused on a different journey, whereas John just looks like he's out to have, and even the way that in in our main text for today in in Luke chapter 3, John's talking about fire and he's exhorting people to listen to the good news, and he's also rebuking Herod. Like, it it feels a a little... indiscriminate can i say that john's just out to bring the judgment and in the end he ends up in quite a dark situation wherein because of his just bringing the judgment he ends up beheaded at a birthday party and it's quite a sad commentary on on 
almost poking the wrong bear at the wrong time. I hope our hope our listeners don't don't hear what I think both of us are trying not to say on this. But it, when I look at John, I, I am inspired by an amazing man who who is this outlier. He does stand in the wilderness. He prepares the way for Jesus. He has the greatest privilege a human could have up to that point of preparing the way for Jesus. And then it feels to me, David, like he steps mm-hmm. over the mark. Mm-hmm. And you use the language, poke the bear. He he has a go at Herod and that wasn't his mandate. His mandate was not to have a go at Herod. His, his mandate was to prepare the way for the Lord. And it's interesting, in John's ministry, he gives this option of repentance, the baptism of repentance. He gives people that option and he says, come and be baptized or don't. Mm. And and some of them do and some of them don't. And yet he's he's quite comfortable with that at one level. And But when it comes to Herod, something has got mm. under his skin about Herod's behavior. The fact that yeah. he's married his brother's wife and there's a whole weird and wonderful thing going on there. And he forces Herod. He forces Herod to to act maybe maybe thinking that if herod acts against john that maybe the people will rise up or there'll be a, a catalyzation of of resistance but but it's a terror and and to me and again uh, i don't know what you think about david i would think about this david but it feels to me all right and this is a difficult theological idea i know feels to me that john dies prematurely he, mm-hmm. he, i'm not sure he should have died in a prison and his head become a gift at a birthday party. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that's what he was meant to do. And I think he he ends up stepping over the mark. Now I hope if we if we eventually meet John in, in heaven, <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't sort of, you know, take me on over that. But <laughs> but I can't help but feel that when Jesus says these last words about John and to John, that mm-hmm. Jesus understands this is the end. Mm-hmm. And in fact, mm-hmm. later on when John is executed, Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is deeply, deeply affected by that. He he mourns mm-hmm. the loss of his relative. And yes. and I think part of that mourning is because, and I, please forgive me if I'm arguing from silence, David, but I think part of that mourning is because Jesus perhaps knows this shouldn't have been how it mm-hmm. finished and it's a very for me it's a very sobering part of an amazing amazing person and an amazing story and an amazing beginning to the ministry of Jesus that here's a man that maybe maybe slightly got off track when he should have stayed focused I don't know it's it's interesting isn't it because I, again we, I mean we're reading suppositionally at, at, at at, at every level, I suppose, here. But if you're looking at Luke chapter 3 and verse 18, 19 and verse 19 and 20 are strange little, almost a little inclusio. You almost want to put it in brackets, don't you? And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And then you get, mm. but, and it just feels like it's not a harsh but. Like in the original language, it's not like a really strong but in that sense. But it feels like it's a little... A little bracketed comment of he proclaimed the good news, but you know he also took on Herod, and and there mm. is, I mean, look, this character in terms of the Christian history, father was horrendous. Agrippa similarly meets a demise in Acts chapter twelve. Herod Agrippa yep. does like this. This there's some real issues with this group, and you do. I don't know, again, I'm reading from silence now, John, but you know, you've got a guy who's talking about God coming and making straight paths to bring about the day of the Lord. And then he takes on the king because he got married to the wrong person. There is a, yeah. there is a subtlety. Yeah. And because of how often it reappears, you, you do get almost this hint that Luke is saying, this, this is, this is a bit of a, an awkward aspect of this story, uh, which, of course, then leads to him doubting Jesus's way of doing things, which now doubles down the awkwardness of John the Baptist's place in the story. It's true. It's true. I, but, you know, on the, the other side, on, on one of the most positive reflections is that it shows 
the magnificence of how then Jesus manages this conversation about the kingdom of God mm-hmm. without without getting caught in, in the crossfire or the crosshairs of Herod mm-hmm. or Pilate. Uh, I mean, yes. right up to the end. I mean, ultimately, Jesus gets executed, not because he's a threat to Rome, but because of Pilate himself is caught mm-hmm. in the crossfire of a very mm-hmm. nasty situation. So, so you, you and you've got Jesus is able to hold intention, the sorts of things that probably drove John to distraction, mm. and John, John is feeling no, no, we we have to do something about the political situation, and here's Jesus establishing his kingdom under the might of Rome, and has such a supreme confidence in the kingdom that he goes, no, that this kingdom will find a way to work without mm. necessarily overthrowing the rulers of the day. And there is that, uh, and you're absolutely right, there is that, tra- that there is that tension in for us all. Should we be like John and speak out against our mm. political rulers? And, and of course, within a democratic system, if you, if you have the privilege of being in a democratic system, you have that right to, to voice your opinion. And in, in for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, humans around the world in totalitarian states, that's much more difficult uh, mm-hmm. to do. Should we speak or should we follow the John model or should we follow the Jesus model? Which which mm. model should we follow? Should we speak out by our behavior or should we speak out by our activism and by our words? And and I think at the end of the day, you pay your money and you take your choice on this. I think mm-hmm. it's remembering that there will be a cost to either way. Yes. And I think whichever way you go, there is cost. There was ultimately cost to Jesus and the, and, and the church. Mm. And there is, yes. there is a cost to, to the John way. And whether one way is better than the other is, is probably down to much debate. But, but mm. John and Jesus represent that tension within that context. And I think that whatever way you choose, I think it is important to say that Luke's commentary would be very clear that, that whatever way you choose to go that John's way of engaging with his government or Jesus's, you should do it with Jesus's message. So, you know, it's not a case of, do you go down the judgment and fire route or the, or the way of Jesus? I think that we have to use Jesus's message, even if we choose then to take on, and there's some amazing people out there doing great work, yep. implicitly yep. critiquing our systems of the world. Of and I, I, you know, I have I have people that I know that are working in government to make things better, and uh, driven by their call of, of Jesus. So there are multiple ways to engage with politics Indeed. and government and and and, and city. Um, so with all that in mind, John, we look ahead to next time because John the Baptist, we're not finished with him yet. Jesus is going to come to him and be baptized. Indeed. Indeed. So, Can't um, wait. Can't wait, David. It's been it's been marvelous. I've so so enjoyed this and I hope our hope our listeners have. We we want to affirm John as a great man and mm. he prepares a great way for a great Messiah. And we're looking forward to getting into that.